0: malware in space you're listening to are we there yet the radio show exploring space exploration hi i'm brendan burn as if space wasn't tough enough aerospace companies are facing a new challenge malware a security company found that machines at an unnamed aerospace company were infected by malware raising the alarm for organizations to tighten their security That's just one of many stories making headlines on the space beat. We'll speak with T-Minus Daily podcast host Maria Varmasis about the latest space news stories, including Boeing's latest lawsuit and Leonardo DiCaprio's investment in low Earth orbit. Then what happens if you barf in space? An important question from a young space fan that gets an answer in a new book, Space Care. We'll speak with author Jennifer Swanson about burning questions from young enthusiasts about space travel and health. That's ahead on Are We There Yet? here on 90.7 WMFE News. Wireless solar power harnessed from space. Malware infects aerospace computers. Leonardo DiCaprio invests in low-Earth orbit. Boeing faces a lawsuit. And NASA is concerned about delays to its Artemis program. These are some of the latest space news headlines. Here to break down these stories and more is host Maria Vermasas, host of the podcast T-minus Daily. Maria, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm psyched to be here. Psyched to have you on here. Um, so lots going on. Um, that you cover every day in in your podcast. We're gonna kind of take a sampling of some of these these big space news stories you've been you've been following uh, over the past few days. First of all, this one's super interesting. Um, malware that is targeting the aerospace defense sector. Um, that sounds absolutely terrifying. Uh, <laughs> what's going on, and should we be worried? <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to
1: blow this up into a, you know, sky is falling situation. It's definitely something um, aerospace folks should be aware of. And certainly cybersecurity in aerospace is something that I know there is some cognizance of it, and people are starting to get more savvy about it. And we're, we're getting there. Um, but yeah, a, a security company called Adlumen, uh, they found out that there were some machines at an unnamed, unspecified aerospace defense contractor that was infected with malware. And Listen, malware exists. It, like we We're all aware of things like ransomware, and malware, that kind of stuff. But the reason why this was sort of noteworthy is the malware used sort of straddled the lines between like what a script kitty would do, which is sort of a, just cast a wide net and see who they catch, and what a nation state might do, which is actually actively target somebody and go after either a specific organization or at least an industry. So With malware, especially with uh, cutting-edge security research, there's a lot of stuff that we don't often know ahead of time. We don't necessarily know in this case, like, who actually (laughs) sent this malware at this defense contractor. Um, But it does look like they are going after aerospace companies specifically. And that is sort of a new thing. So especially with the... uh, Cyber attacks that we saw on Viasat last year. It looks like a lot of aerospace companies are finding themselves a little uncomfortable with this newfound uh, attention <laughs> from the hacker set. And this is sort of another uh, point in that direction. That um, this is not great, and aerospace companies really need to be on lookout for this kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Are you getting Are you getting the sense that that these aerospace companies are were taken a bit by surprise um, by this? I mean, as as an outsider, um, you, you think of something that's, that's going to space, space hardware, it's so sanitary, right? It's so disconnected from anything from getting physically infected by germs or buggers or dust or whatever. But now there's, there's the software issue that, that, that could come there. I mean, was this a surprise to, to people in the industry?
1: You know, it's funny. I think some, for some folks it isn't because they've, they're thinking in the sense of, you know, it's a computer, computers are vulnerable and <laughs> anything with like any kind of computer component, it's going to be vulnerable in some way. But especially as the commercial sector explodes in in growth and there's a lot of commercial off the shelf options out there, you've got things that are connected to the Internet that gives a way in for hackers. You've got all these systems that are sort of uh, expanding at scale that also gives a way for if, you know, if one of those is vulnerable, they're all vulnerable in a way. Um, It it does seem like people are becoming aware of this as being a risk, but there is some element of, oh, (laughs) we
0: better we better get on this because it's it was a priority yesterday. Fascinating stuff. Um, okay, so another another cool story. Well, that wasn't a cool story, but a cool story <laughs> that you are following um, is on a Caltech demonstration of space-based solar power. Yeah. Um, Tell us a bit about what you found out about about this story.
1: Yeah, so um my dad was a physicist, so anything about physics I'm always like I there's a, I don't want to mess up the details of the story. <laughs> <So Yeah. laughs> I'm like always nervous talking about it. Um but Caltech announced that their space solar power prototype had some really cool successes and I have to couch this in some like physics language. You know, electromagnetic waves transmit some level of power, so that's not like a new thing, but what they did is um, they transmitted power from one spot on essentially their satellite, to another spot. And that proved that you can transmit power wirelessly in space, even with all of the you know, cosmic rays and all the interference from the harsh environment of space, that you can transmit power that way. And that was the big deal, even though the distance was only a foot. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's a proof of concept experiment from Caltech. But if they can get this to scale, and that is a big if, if they can get this to scale... The idea is that this would actually democratize power to solar power from space to Earth. Ah. So that's the dream. Mm -hmm. Nikola Tesla was dreaming of wireless power (laughs) energy transfer back in the day. So, you know, it's not a new dream, but um, it's just interesting to see that it can actually work in space now. So whether or not it can scale is the question. Mm -hmm.
0: It's very cool. Very cool step. And are there plans to scale it up like that? I know this is is research, so that's going to cost some money. I mean, what's (laughs) the kind of next steps for Caltech and, and those researchers there? Do we know?
1: Well... Yeah, it's a great question. I'm sure Caltech's is going to be scaling. I don't know what their plans are after this. I think there, there's still a lot of work to be done there. But they're not the only organization working on something like this. I know there's researchers in Japan that are also working on a similar experiment with JAXA, and they're trying to launch it in 2025. So the idea is if we can harness the power of the sun in space and get that energy down to Earth, it's like infinite en- energy in theory. But that, again, is a theory and there's a lot of ifs. But it's so cool seeing people working on this.
0: Oh, yeah. And it's, it sounds like a, a, a you know, why wouldn't we do that, right? If it's if it's available to us, but it's just a matter of, of making it available to everybody.
1: Yeah, it sounds sci-fi, but the the potential is there. But again, there are a lot of questions about how this could scale, um, not just the physics of it, but also just the cost of getting something like that to scale. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of questions, but it is really neat seeing people working towards it. Mm-hmm.
0: Most of the stuff that we cover, it seems like sci-fi, doesn't it? <laughs>
1: It does. It really does. I love this job so much.
0: (laughs) All right. Let's talk about another story. Uh, This one's a bit closer to home for me here in Florida. Um, Tell me a bit about the company NewView. What are they up to and and why is this a really exciting story to follow?
1: Yeah, this is a really neat story. So NewView announced uh, they got some new funding from a famous name uh, and a bunch of other companies too. But the famous name is Leonardo DiCaprio, the actor and environmentalist. And why on earth would an actor and environmentalist invest in a satellite company? Well, NewView is uh, working towards mapping the earth in 3D using LiDAR technology. So um, LiDAR, I don't know if you have a robot vacuum. <laughs> My little, like, I do. Uh,
0: it's not very yeah. good, but I do have one. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if it's the smarter kind that doesn't just bump weirdly into corners, but actually maps your house, that uses LiDAR. Um, and so it's not like LiDAR is new, but putting it on a satellite is new. And also, NewView is going to be looking at the Earth in 3D at a, at a, I think it's a centimeter level resolution, which is extremely high resolution. And the idea is, if we can map the Earth in 3D at that high resolution, we'll be able to um, track changes in coastlines, forests, all kinds of things that you know environmentalists and scientists and researchers and policymakers need to track as you know climate change changes things around us. So this will be huge, uh, very valuable information and new views plans is to put a, a satellite constellation that has lighter on it, uh, up into space. So, uh, makes sense in that context that Leonardo DiCaprio would support it. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so it's not out of left field. It actually totally makes sense. Well, great. Well, let, let's move on to, um, to Boeing, which, um, we talked about this on, on the show uh, a bit ago about some, some issues with, um, uh. Boeing's Starliner um and and some delays to that, which is now moving it way past uh, its, its targeted launch date of of July-ish. But now Boeing is facing another issue with some of the hardware and tools used for Artemis um Maria, bring us up to speed on the latest Boeing drama yeah,
1: this is a this is kind of wild. Uh, this story uh, so CNBC broke this story that, uh, Wilson Aerospace is suing Boeing, and Wilson Aerospace is a small company, and they're alleging in a federal court in Washington that basically Boeing ripped them off. It ripped off their designs and then passed them off to NASA as theirs instead of basically saying that Wilson made it. Um, and Wilson, Wilson Aerospace's allegation is that this actually put astronauts' lives at risk uh, because some uh, an issue that it had appeared on the ISS for a component that Wilson... Uh, Originally made, and I'm trying to couch this in legal language because this is all in a lawsuit. Um, they said that something, there was a problem with it, and essentially that that problem wouldn't have happened if they had been using the actual Wilson part as opposed to the Boeing part. Again, allegedly uh, <laughs> that had the issue. So um, Boeing vigorously denies these allegations, um, and they're they're you know they're, they're going to fight this in court. And Wilson says the damages to them are in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, it's just wild, and and they're also alleging that that
0: Boeing ripped off other contractors. So it's like this this story is just crazy to me. <laughs> but I we'll see where this goes, I guess. And this comes as Boeing is dealing with these issues from Starliner, which because of the contract structure, right. Boeing is taking the um the the financial burden of these delays as well. I mean, do we know what Boeing's future is going to look like with with all of these things seemingly piling on <laughs> at, at the same time?
1: If I knew, I probably wouldn't be doing this job. But <laughs> uh, it just seems like really bad timing, and I'm—I don't think Boeing needed this right now. Uh, I will be watching this with great interest. But as I said, it's just wild. This—this this allegation of ripping off IP is—is is is a very serious one. Um, and I—I I mean, m- my opinion—I just wouldn't thought wouldn't have thought that Boeing would do something like this. Obviously, it's an allegation, so it's just—it's just really made me do a double k- take when I saw it. But we'll have to watch and see what happens there.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of delays and Artemis, um, finally, um, we've got the Artemis... Delays in space? Delays in what? space, yeah. It's not, that's not a, a word Never. we've ever used on our podcasts, right? No. Let, let's talk about the, Artemis, the the possibility of Artemis 3 delays and, and what NASA uh, kind of leaders are, are worried about when it comes to the human landing system, Starship.
1: Yeah, so a NASA official has come out and said that they're worried about... Um, the Artemis 3 timeline, you know, things slip in space. This is not a new thing for us. Uh, but basically, because of the very well publicized issues we saw at the Starship flight test with the launch pad, and then afterwards, the environmental concerns and the subsequent lawsuit by environmental groups against the FAA, and now SpaceX is in on that too, um, there are likely going to be some serious delays here, even though SpaceX is saying that won't happen. Realistically, it, it looks like it will. So, NASA's worrying about how this is all going to impact the the lander program Um, for good reason, because when it comes to lawsuits, as we were talking about, you really don't know how long that's going to take. NASA's working its angles with the FAA, its its partners and feds, (laughs) saying, can we please speed this up to not delay the program? But things are going to take the time they take. And there are also the standing questions of the damage to Starbase from that launch test. Um, Are are all these components going to be ready? Is the launch pad going to be ready? Lots of unknowns. So I, I think it makes sense that NASA's concerned, but fingers crossed on that.
0: And and finally, Maria, as as the host of T-Minus Daily, you've got your ear to the ground when it comes to, you know, a lot of these stories. And what are some of the things that that you're going to be looking at, um, you know, in the second part of, of this year?
1: Well, there's there's a lot going on in commercial space, federal space, <laughs> military space. I mean, right now for a lot of folks, it's access to capital is a big concern. You know, the economy, being as it is right now, money's tight, so um, it's going to be very interesting to see how space companies are able to weather this storm of funding being tighter than we would like, and uh, and you know access to capital being hard to get to. So that that will be very interesting to see how
0: people get through this the end of this year. That was Maria Varmasis, host of the podcast T minus Daily. Be sure to check out her podcast wherever you get this podcast. Later this week on T-Minus Daily, Maria speaks with a big name in space, George Neald. Still to come, what happens if you puke in space?
2: Um, But for that one, I remember her response was basically like, Uh, Don't do it in the first place,
0: right?
2: (laughs) If you're going to throw up, throw up into a bag, right? You don't want to be the person who has to, you know, go around and collect everything. And I thought that was really
0: funny. Burning questions about space travel from kids answered. Are we there yet? Is back in a minute here on 90.7 WMFE News. You're listening to Are We There Yet? here on 90.7 WMFE News. I'm Brendan Byrne. What happens if you throw up in space? Can you choke on food in microgravity? And do cuts take a longer time to heal in orbit? These are all questions asked by young kids and the subject of a new book from the Mayo Clinic, Space Care, A Kid's Guide to Surviving Space puts these questions to experts, including NASA astronaut Megan McArthur, with the aim of inspiring curiosity into space exploration. So here to talk more about the book and give us the answers to those questions is space care author Jennifer Swanson. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me,
2: Brendan. I'm excited
0: to be here. So Jennifer, I got to ask you, what what was your inspiration to to write this, this book?
2: Uh, well, I am a huge science geek. Like, I've been uh, a science geek my whole life. I started a science club in my garage when I was seven, which is a very long time ago, but I've always loved space. So, I was in high school when Sally Ride went up. And at that time, I was like, I want to be an astronaut. But not just that, I also wanted to be an organ transplant surgeon astronaut, which there is no such thing yet. But I think that's where my love of medicine and space started way back in high school. So um, when I was asked to write this book, the editor that approached me was basically like, we thought of you. And I was like, well, yay, of course you did. Because this
0: is two things that I love. And so it was that moment that that Sally Ride moment that was kind of what raised your interest in this topic in the first place.
2: Absolutely. I mean, i had always I wanted to be a doctor since I was nine. I wanted to be a pediatrician. Um, but I never thought about, you know, kind of being a, a medical doctor in space. And she was the first woman to do this. And I was like, whoa, I may, I, I could do that maybe. I get motion sickness so probably not but but maybe.
0: So so the book is is space care. It's it's targeted at at younger readers who have these really interesting questions about space travel. We'll get into some of those questions later on in this conversation. But but what what do you want your readers to take away from when they pick up this book?
2: So the cool thing that I thought um so As you know, and hope the readers will find out, I got to interview astronaut Megan MacArthur, which was just amazing. It was amazing. But the cool thing I thought about was when we were talking about this, she's like, we as humans don't just go up into space. We are also kind of medical experiments, right? Like they're learning from us and the astronauts have to do a whole bunch of medical tests while they're in space so that scientists here on Earth can learn how humans Behave in microgravity, and that's something that I don't think a lot of kids or maybe a lot of adults understand. And that's what I found really cool about writing this book. Mm-hmm. They're orbital guinea pigs, exactly. <laughs> and and they're fine with that. By the way, here on Earth, we'd be like, no, no, I'm
0: not doing that. <laughs> so as we mentioned, the the book is it's geared towards a younger audience. Um, it's based on questions from from young people, um, but science and medical and biotechnology, it's a very, very complex topic. So walk me through your process of how you take such a complex topic and and turn it into something that is digestible for a young person.
2: So um, that's what I do in like all of my books. I love writing about technology. For me, in my head, I think like a nine or 10 year old when I approach a topic. And I think, okay, I have to use an analogy that they would understand. Like, big as a football field or, you know, small as a basketball or something like that. Um, But then I I think about questions like, okay, if I were a 10 year old, I'd want to know, you know, is it cool to float or do you get tired of floating? Like, how do you sleep? And so that kind of drives how I put together a book and how I write a book. I'm really answering all the questions in my head that I think a nine or 10 year old kid would want to know, because that's me. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, let's talk about what uh, what those actual kids uh, wrote about in the book. And, and there's some there's some fantastic questions in here. But our intern Amy Diaz picked uh, picked three questions. So I'm going to throw them to you and, and see if you can give us a bit of a preview from the book. So uh, the first one and I actually have this question too: uh, how do you clean up things like vomit in space? Obviously, that's going to be a big challenge because that's floating around everywhere and probably not a good thing to have all of that stuff flying around in your in your space capsule. Right. How do you deal with that?
2: Yeah, that, that would not be fun. Um, so the cool thing is, is that a lot of these questions Megan herself answered. Um, but for that one, I remember her response was basically like. Uh, don't do it in the first place, right? <laughs> like if you're going to throw up, throw up into a bag, right? You don't want to be the person who has to, you know, go around and collect everything. And I thought that was really funny. She said, but the cool thing is they use the bags, like, you know, that we find in the back of the seat pockets of the air, you know, on planes. Those are kind of the bags they use. But she also went a little further, you know, make sure you create a really good seal around your mouth. Okay. So, You know, but they do clean the ISS. So if you think you can go to space and not do chores, this is not the place for you. (laughs) Uh, They use all of those wipes, microbial wipes to wipe down surfaces because food gets everywhere and all that kind of stuff. That's another way to clean it up.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's actually good advice um, for uh, an earthly person who may be getting motion sickness on an airplane, right? Make sure you have a good seal on that barf bag when you're on the plane. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Another one um, that you tackled in the book. Uh, What happens if food gets stuck in your throat? in space. That sounds absolutely terrifying.
2: Yeah. So she said, hopefully you can drink water. I mean, it's kind of like on earth, you can drink water, but if they have to, they can do the Heimlich maneuver in space, but you have to brace yourself to do it. So we don't think about it here on earth. Someone will, someone stands up behind you and kind of pushes up and inward and it works in space. Not so much because you have nothing to push off on. So you'll notice there's lots of handholds and footholds. And so you can do stuff like that. But usually if you cough or you drink
0: water, hopefully that gets things going and you don't have to do something like that. Yeah, Newton's law would not be uh, very helpful in that particular instance. Unfortunately, (laughs) no. (laughs) Um, And another great one. um, Do cuts take longer to heal in space? And, you know, this one surprised
2: me, too. The answer to that was, yes, they can. Because when you're in space, your immune system kind of tamps down a little bit. There's so many things going on. The pressure affects the blood in your body. Um, You actually have less blood in your body. And a lot of it rises up. Um, But there's also tiny bits of bacteria that, that are in the area in the ISS. I mean, they have amazing... Uh, purifiers that pull most of it out, but it is an enclosed space. And so sometimes you can get bacteria in there. That's why they really pay attention to cuts and they clean them out well and they put the antibiotic ointment on it and all that kind of stuff um, to take care of them really well so they don't get infected.
0: Jennifer, we talked how how as a kid you wanted to be an astronaut, you wanted to be a, a medical doctor in space. What would you think younger you would have thought of Of space travel if they had a book like this to begin with
2: oh I would have loved it Um, I would have thought it was amazing a lot of the um, nonfiction books when I was a kid were more like textbooks and um, this one hopefully captures your curiosity and makes you want to learn more maybe a kid reading this will want to be a doctor or go into space or be one of the amazing technicians And engineers that helps design um, some things that go into
0: space because there's so many things you could do in the space program. Did you find that there was kind of a through line with the questions that you got from kids? I mean, I've I've had kids ask questions at at, at Q&A events that I've done with with people in the space program. And they have this kind of, you know, inherent sense of wonder and curiosity. I'm I'm wondering if if, if you gathered that from from these questions that you you got from the young kids that, that helped with the book.
2: I mean, absolutely. You know, it, it's just like I said, it's it's all about curiosity and following your own curiosity. So some things that I had already written came in as questions later from the kids. And I was like, oh, cool. That means, yes, I'm doing a good job of thinking like a kid. But I love the unusual questions, right? Because kids will ask things and, and they have no filter. They'll be like, okay, how do you go to the bathroom in space? I want to know the whole thing. Explain it for me, you know, from the beginning to end. So we have a fairly decent, you know, we have a picture and a almost not quite step by step explanation of how that works. Because let's face it, everybody's curious about
0: that question. And that's what I love about kids is they don't have a problem asking that. And, you know, I mean, these kids are going to have far more opportunities to travel in space than than you and I Um, you know, I'm wondering what your sense is as to the importance of something like this, and and also, you know, in working with Megan MacArthur on this, you know, did did she recognize the the importance of really training the next generation to take this leap in into space because they will have a greater opportunity than you and I would.
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, Megan is all about um, promoting STEM and science and space for and you know exploration for kids. Um, she is very involved at the NASA Johnson Space Center there. In fact, I think she might be in charge of the STEM coordination effort there. And so we had a great conversation back and forth. Of course, I um, this is just one of the books I have about space. So when I go and do my school visits, I love to talk to kids about space and get them excited about it. I, I told you before the show, I had a chance to go to NASA Johnson Space Center for two days and get to go to the neutral buoyancy lab and meet Valkyrie, the robot. And we saw the new lunar lander and got to lunar rover and got to sit in it. And I'm sharing all of those experiences with kids because that getting them to see things and do things is what will get them really excited about going to space.
0: And Jennifer, finally, um, what was your favorite question uh, that you got for the book?
2: Oh my gosh.
0: putting you on the spot
2: um, yeah i'm gonna have to look that one up a second i mean there there were so many i kind of liked this one which seems odd but i thought it was it shows a lot of uh, intrigue why would they grow flowers in space and i kind of love questions like that because some of the one, other ones are really obvious right and this person was like okay are we learning anything like like we're just beautifying space why are we doing that and so for me that gave me and Megan also an entry point to talk more about how we're growing things and why we're growing things and what we're learning from growing things and how we can use this when we eventually land on the moon and build a base there
0: so I thought that was a very intuitive question that I got well, we've been speaking with Jennifer Swanson. She's an award-winning author. Her book, Space Care, takes kids burning questions about uh, the medical mysteries of, of the final frontier uh, and puts it into something that we can all read and enjoy. Jennifer Swanson, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Well, thank you for having me, Brendan.
0: Well, that's going to do it for this week's show. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to the show's podcast feed so you never miss an episode. Subscribe on NPR One, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We've got more space coverage online. Visit w. WMFE.org space. Are We There Yet is a production of 90.7 WMFE News. Editorial guidance from LaToya Dennis. Our intern is Amy Diaz. Support for Are We There Yet comes from our listeners. Until next week, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening.